0: So, Lord, I just thank you for your presence. I thank you for your people in this place. Thank you for each person. We just come before you this morning. We honor you. We thank you for um, what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for what you're doing in, in each and every heart. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're you your meeting. Uh, I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would meet each person this morning exactly where they are and what they need to hear. And, and you know exactly exactly. Uh, how, how they need to be touched by you, and so we just invite you come and touch us this morning. Come and do a work in our hearts that we might uh, more faithfully serve you. That we might uh, that we might love you more. We want we want all of our all of our um, energy and our hearts. We we want our strength. We want it, We want to serve you, Jesus, because we just we want to honor you because we are so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful for what you've done, what you've done, and so Lord, we're compelled by love to honor you and to love you. And so I just pray, equip your people for the work of ministry in this place and strengthen us. And and I pray that no one would feel left out. No one would be lonely. No one would be isolated, but every single person would come in and they would be connected to the body and every single joint would supply strength one another. And God, I pray that you would activate and stir up the gifts within us by the... Uh, even as Paul prayed, I I want you to stir up the gift within you by the laying on of hands. Lord, I pray that every single gift and talent and ability in this place would be activated, would be stirred up, would be used, would be brought to the table, and we would would connect and you would build your church. You would form this body. And we pray your blessing on each uh, ministry branch. And we ask you for, uh, we're asking you, Father, for a move, a mighty move of your spirit, God, to of of the kingdom to come across this city. In the name of Jesus, all for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you want, you can turn your Bibles to uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua, chapter 3. And we've been doing a series. uh, It's called Take the Nations. And so this is part four. Has anybody been enjoying this series? All right. Woo! Yeah, that's good. Glad to hear it. So, we, um, the last few weeks, we've been building a foundation of precedent for this truth um, that God wants to inhabit the earth. He wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. In and, 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 uh, Exodus, Moses says, Lord, fill the earth with your glory. And so, we, we're building precedent um, for taking the nations for christ and so as we build that precedent we're going to move into um, through the next month not necessarily today but through the next month we're going to move into practical strategy of how do we take the nations for christ but right now we're building a framework that is uh, we're building a paradigm um, for god's heart to inhabit and, and to redeem the nations of the earth to disciple nations for himself and so um, with that, we've we've looked at uh, from Genesis all the way to the Book of Acts, all the way to Revelation. We've been looking at um, God's heart to the Dominion Mandate, the advancing Kingdom, and uh, in the last week we look at Daniel eight, in that God is um, judgment has been rendered on behalf of the saints because the time has come for the saints of the Most High to take possession. Of glory, dominion, and a kingdom. And that's what we looked at last week. So this morning, um, on week one, in Genesis 12, we were looking at Abraham. Abraham was called out, and the Lord gave him a promise. And, And that promise was the promise of land, descendants, and a nation. But more than this, Abraham was promised by God that through his seed all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we, we see in Genesis uh, chapter 10, the table of nations, the first 70 descendants of the three sons of Noah, the table of nations. God creates nations. He disperses them. He, he gives them boundaries. He gives them languages. Nations are God's idea. And then in Genesis 12, God says, I'm going to take those nations. And our uh, evangelistic core as the church predates Acts, and it goes all the way back to Abraham, and God's saying, I'm going to bless you, your seed, and you're going to possess the nations of the earth. In Galatians, we are connected to that seed. That seed of Abraham is the seed of Christ. And so you and I, our lineage goes all the way back to Abraham and the promise, the father of many nations. Through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Abraham was given this promise, land, descendants, and a nation through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. That promise was carried from Abraham to his son Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob, his name was eventually changed to Israel. Why? Jacob would become the father of a nation, the nation of Israel. Through Jacob's sons, he would have 12 sons. Those sons, this is, this is like a high-level overview. You can read this in, throughout the book of Genesis. Those sons would form the first 12 tribes, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. That number, 12, is a very important recurring biblical number um, to take into consideration. Out of Jacob's 12 sons, we read of the story of Joseph. Joseph was the firstborn of Jacob's second wife, Rachel. And if you read the story, uh, in Genesis, we read Joseph, he's eventually sold into slavery in Egypt. He shares a dream with his brothers that they will serve him. They're gonna bow, you're going to bow down before me and his brothers are consumed with the spirit of jealousy and they end up selling selling joseph as a slave in egypt but through a series of supernatural events what happens is that joseph rises to prominence in egypt by interpreting the dreams of the pharaoh similar there's there's similarities to daniel and what we see is that joseph is sold into uh, slavery in egypt he's he, he rises to prominence and eventually joseph he brings his brothers who betrayed him, his father and his entire household, to Egypt to live with him during a seven-year famine and to live with him in the land of Goshen, where they're provided for during a seven-year famine. And so, if you, if you look in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, we see, we read where Jacob, his 12 sons, they're brought into, the, into Egypt. And they, they, it, the Exodus 1, it says they grew extremely strong and they multiplied and filled the land. But within a few verses, Exodus 1 to Exodus, uh, the first eight verses, the plot dramatically shifts. Exodus 1, verse 1 into verse 8, it says in, in Exodus 1, 8, it says, Now a new king arose that did not know Joseph nor the history of his accomplishments. First thing I want to say is it's always a danger to have a new generation that doesn't honor their fathers and mothers, or doesn't know their history. We see that in Exodus 1.8 is that a king rose, and he didn't acknowledge Joseph, and he didn't know his history or the accomplishments done. We see something similar today. We see a generation not honoring the forefathers, not honoring the past, not knowing history, but we also see the hand of Satan in that he wants to skew history, he wants to steal history, rewrite history, because if he can possess history, he can write the future, he can control the future, right? So we we see a king in Exodus 1-8, he he came out of the covenantal blessing that flows through honor. What was the first command given with the promise? Honor your fathers and mothers so that it might go well with you in the land. And that supersedes just uh, honor in the household, that goes into honoring Those that went before us in history, in the line of history. Okay, so as a result, what what happens? This new king, he looks at the vast sum of the Hebrew people, and he sets over them taskmasters to oppress them. You can read about this in uh, Exodus one. He sets over them oppressors, and they come into slavery, and that slavery lasts for four hundred years. So God's people, Abraham's promise, a nation, Jacob has twelve sons, and now those twelve sons have multiplied. And now Israel has come under oppression and bondage and slavery. 400 years, that is until a man named Moses, a deliverer, came on the scene. And through Moses, God rescues Israel through high-level, uh, supernatural, uh, through signs and wonders that contest the Egyptian gods. So you guys know the story. How many of you guys have seen Prince of Egypt? You can get the whole summary if you just watch that movie. It's just one of the best movies out there. So, um, so we come to the scene of the burning bush, and this is where an epic scene. God calls Moses, and he, promised him his, he promises him he will deliver his people and give them what? A promised land. Exodus 3, 7 to 8. I want to read this to you. The Lord says, surely, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up to a land, from that land to a land, good, a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the, the per- Perizzites and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. What we see here is that the promised land, get this, the promised land, tying all the way back to Abraham, is the land of other nations. The promised land, promised Abraham, is the land of the nations. Yet, this land, I'm going to bring you to a good large land, it's being occupied. Deuteronomy 7.1, God lets them in. He, he gives them these incredible promises. In Deuteronomy 7-1, he lets them in on a secret. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. This is the important phrase right here. All of those nations. When he has cast out the nations before you, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Promised land, it comes with an incredible promise. Land, a good and large land flowing with milk and honey. But there's an insurmountable obstacle. The impossible will stand before you. Seven nations you're going to have to cast out. And all of those nations are greater and they're stronger than you. But remember, they were in 400 years of slavery. What's the message? God is taking a band, a company of slaves, and he wants to take slaves and transform them into a nation of warriors, warriors that will conquer and occupy. But Israel wasn't ready. Exodus, let's read this. In Exodus, you can write this down. Exodus 13, verse 17. It came to pass, so we see the deliverance. Uh, Most Incredible Deliverance of God contesting the Egyptian gods through plagues. Delivering them through the Red Sea. We're gonna look at that. But right here, after they're delivered, before the Red Sea encounter, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and returned to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. The children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. They weren't ready to take the land because they, if they saw war, they would turn back and say, we would rather be slaves in Egypt. But God said, I'm not gonna take you through the land of the Philistines, but I want you to see this. One day out of Israel, a king would arise that would cut off that giant, a Philistine giant. This first first generation, God means to take a nation of slaves and means to make them into a a nation of warriors. This first generation of freed slaves reject the land. And instead, they wander through the desert. Exodus, again, you can write these down, but Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. The whole congregation of the Israelites grew discontented and they murmured and they rebelled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and ate bread until we were full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. In other words, the Israelites are saying we'd rather be enslaved in slavery again than on this faith journey. What what does God do in response? In response, God is merciful and he gives them manna, which rains down from heaven and quail meat to eat. Exodus 16 verse uh, 13 What do we see? They wander through the desert, desert, but God has mercy, and he gives them wilderness miracles. In the evening, the quails came up, and they covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a blanket of dew around the camp. I love this. It says, when the layer of dew evaporated on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine, flake-like thing, as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat." So what happens is they, they rebel against Moses and Aaron, they said, we'd rather be in slavery and God gives them wilderness miracles. He has mercy on them. But as amazing as manna from heaven is, and in one case water from a rock, and as amazing uh, and we sing about it and we're in all in wonder of it, as amazing as that is. these miracles were only there to sustain them on a wilderness journey because they had rebelled and turned against God and they were wandering in complaints and murmuring. What's the message? Is that there was an abundance for them on the other side of obedience. But they were kept because of their complaint, because of the fact that they were rebelling against the Lord, they were kept in the wilderness wandering and God gave them wilderness miracles yet there was not just miracles, uh, not just wafers not just manna from heaven but a land that was flowing a good land a land rich on the other side of, of obedience there, there was more for god's people but it was it was again in a land with seven nations greater greater than them this concept is it's an isaiah 61 concept or phenomenon it's great darkness on the nations but god's glory coming upon his people that is there's an impossible task but there's an abundance of provision. I believe that each one of the miracles that God performed was a, a miracle that was proving his ability to rescue them, his ability to move into the land and take the nations and cast them out. God performed miracles to deliver his people from Egyptian oppress, oppressors, and he was, what was he doing? He was building rapport. You can trust me. But Israel forgot, and, and they, they stopped telling the stories of God's power. I just want to read this from Psalms uh, 78, verse 40. And this is just such a beautiful um, chapter. Psalm 78, verse 40. How often they disobeyed Him in the wilderness, and they grieved Him in the desert. Again and again they tested God, and they provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power. They did not remember His power. The day that he redeemed them from the adversary when he performed his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the fields. He turned the rivers to blood and from their streams they could not drink. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hailstones, their sycamore fig trees with sleet. He abandoned their cattle to the hail and their livestock to the bolts of lightning. He unleashed his fury against them, wrath and ind- indignation and calamity, a band of destroying angels. He cleared a path for his anger, and he did not spare them from death, but he delivered their lives to the plague. He struck all the firstborn of Egypt. He led out his people like, a sh- like sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely so they did not fear, but the sea engulfed their enemies, He brought them to his holy land, to the mountain his right hand had acquired. He drove out the nations before him and apportioned their inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their tents, but they tested and disobeyed God the most high, for they did not keep his decrees. They turned back and were faithless like their fathers, twisted like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their idols. From a geographical standpoint, once Israel crossed the Red Sea, they could have made it to Egypt, to the land of Canaan, in less than a month. Again, as much as we're in awe and sing about the manna from heaven, the water from the rock, the reality is that these mercy wilderness miracles were far below the promise and resulted from their wandering. The manna every day was melted by the heat of the sun if they didn't pick it up. This is the message. There's a limit to the supply in the wilderness. That is, the wilderness and the promise of abundance, they don't go together. God, he has resources for you, but only as you seek first the kingdom. Only as we uh, capture the mandate to take take nations. There is an abundance of resources, but it comes as we pursue the kingdom of God. That is, we're pursuing the greater things that he's called us to. Greater provision, there is great provision that God has for you, but only as you begin to move into the impossible task that he has for us, the church. Nations, taking the nations, nations greater and mightier than you. So, God wants to pour out such a supernatural favor and provision on the church, but this is not so we can just build bigger buildings. This comes with a purpose. The purpose is we're financing a massive harvest of world changers and disciple makers. We're funding a harvest of people that will take cities and nations for Christ. We're funding a harvest of people that will establish schools and businesses and they'll take government seats and they'll begin to move in to land presently occupied by the enemy and they'll say no, everywhere the sole of my foot treads, there the Lord has given us that land. There's a harvest for us, and it's not so we can build bigger. It's so that we can take nations for Christ. And um, when Israel, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, but that Red Sea crossing was in order to prepare them, I believe, to take Canaan. That is to rule in Canaan as priests and kings. We read this in Exodus, um, Exodus 19. It says... Exodus 19 verse 3, then Moses, he went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. This is such a beautiful passage right here. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, and how I have brought you to myself. This is the Lord speaking. Now, if you fully obey me and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. What do we see? The Red Sea crossing, it was to lead them to the Jordan River. Because in the Jordan River was where they were going to inherit and occupy, and they were going to go on a conquest to take back Land that belongs to God. Hittites, Gergeshites, Amorites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites. This is the gospel of the kingdom, as opposed to just the gospel of salvation. See, you were saved when you crossed the Red Sea. Israel was saved, and that Red Sea you hear, uh, you may have heard that Red Sea is symbolic of the blood. It's symbolic of your salvation. See, you were saved, crossed, we were saved when we crossed the Red Sea. He, he split, he did the impossible. He, he split the sea open. And what happened is the bondage of our oppressors was broken. The bondage of Egypt was broken. In his blood, you cross over and you're freed from your oppressors. And what happens is that Pharaoh and his chariots, they begin to follow them, to kill them, to slay them. But what happens when they followed them? If the enemy tries to follow you, you, only, you need only to apply the blood, because as they followed him, the waves crash back down on the Egyptian armies. Pharaoh and his, his chariots, God causes the walls of water to crash over them as Moses, Moses' staff is raised in the air. The enemy can't follow you. This morning we, we uh, declared the blood of Jesus Christ. Between you and Satan and the oppression, there is a sea of blood. That is the gospel of salvation. But we have to make war with that blood and we have to apply it. We have to remind Satan his place and we have to remind us by the renewing of our mind to be transformed by the truth of what has happened at the cross. So, cro- But crossing the Red Sea, it doesn't get you into the promised land. See, the gospel of the kingdom, it includes salvation, but Jesus not only paid the price for every soul, but he, prayed, he paid the price for every nation. He paid the price for all of creation. Moses, uh, he gives the next generation a choice, to follow God, which is life, or to follow God, which will mean life, or to forsake God and his law, which will mean death. That generation of Moses chose death. They chose to, to rebel against God. They chose to complain. They chose to stop remembering his power. What happens is Moses died. But a new leader is, is raised up, Joshua. Joshua is their new design, designated leader, and throughout the book of Joshua, the central revelation is this: Whose side are you on? Because God's not on our side. We're either on His side. God see, God doesn't take sides. We're either, he, we're either on His side or we're not. Jesus said, "You're either for me or against me." Does that make sense? So there is a side. But that side is either for him or against him. There's no neutrality. So when we look at the book of Joshua, we see a division. We see, uh, you know, it's just amazing to see some of, some of this in some of the books of the Bible. There's a, there's a nice division between two halves of the book. The first half of Joshua is all about conquests. The second half is covenants and the distribution of land. So if you turn, um, I told you to turn Joshua chapter 1. Oh, sorry, Joshua 3, chapter 3. Everybody doing okay? Okay, so Joshua 3. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Okay, so actually, I'm going to look at Joshua 1 before we look at that, and Joshua 1. Verse 1, it says, now it happened after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise to take his place and cross over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. I have given you every place on which the sole of your foot treads just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, Canaan, and as far as the great sea toward the west shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you to oppose you as long as you live. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and confident and courageous, for you will give this people as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may prosper and be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read it and meditate it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, dismayed, intimidated, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? So, what do we see? Joshua chapter 1, verses the first nine chapters. Moses dies, and God commissions Joshua. Um, we're going to jump ahead here to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Joshua, he gets up early in the morning. Then he and all the children of Israel set out from Shittim, make sure you say that name right, and came to the Jordan, Shittim. That's it. I actually went and made sure, I, YouTube to make sure the pronunciation was correct. Uh, and they spent the night there before they crossed over the river. And it happened at the end of three days that the officers went throughout the camp and they commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant before the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from where you are and follow it. Okay, so there's a couple points here, but the number one is when the Ark moves, you move with it. The Ark represents the manifest presence of God. When his presence move, we move. We, um, you have never, you've, you've not passed this way before. Where God's taking us, the church has never been. Therefore, we must wait on His presence. We must cultivate His presence. We don't, we're not here to see what we can do. We don't want to come up on Sunday just to see what we can do. We want to see what God can do. And therefore, we must, we're here to meet with the Lord. We're here to see His presence. When, um, when the ark moves, we move. We don't want to move without His presence. They were to come in line behind the presence and not to move without it. Verse 4. Um, here's, here's this, yeah, so however, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measurement. Do not come near it so that you may be able to see the ark and know the way you are to go, for you have not passed this way before. Again, 400 years as slaves, 40 years in the wilderness. In fact, all, from all of those that were delivered from Egypt, only two made it all the way to the, to the promised land. So there's often a stretch between salvation and possessing the kingdom. And that all depends on you and I. It depends on obedience. How we cross over depends on us and being transformed by the truths of the kingdom. This was, indeed, this was a way they had never been before. All the more, they must carefully follow the Ark in line with the priests, following after the manifest presence of God. Because in his presence is everything that we need. In his presence is all the provision that we need. In his presence is victory and triumph and its guidance and vision and leadership. Verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves for his purposes. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. When we move from the wilderness, we cross the Jordan and God, He calls us to to set set yourselves apart because tomorrow I'm gonna do wonders. God's calling us to consecrate our lives. He's calling us to set apart for Himself time with Him. He's calling us to set apart our hearts and our minds and our lives so that He can perform, He can use us as vessels of honor because God wants to do extraordinary things as we cross over. So, um, verse 6. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over the river ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went on ahead of the people. And then uh, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to magnify and exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that you might know that... Just as I was with Moses, I will also be with you. You shall command the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord. So, number one, when the Ark moves, you move. And number two, follow in line with the priest. There's a, uh, there's a synchronization that God is raising up, I believe, in, in his church, and that is we have fathers and mothers that are helping to lead the way. God is a, he's a God of order, and he says, I want the priests to go out first and moving in sync with one another. God's raising up a synchronization in the body, a unity in the body, fathers and mothers in the body, and... I, um, I believe there's a revelation is, in this is that there's church hurt and there's woundedness and it pushes us into isolation. But the water's too deep. The Jordan River, it's too deep for us to move in alone. We can't do this without each other. We've got to move as one. And so when God comes to Israel, he's saying there's a synchronization that's coming uh, that I want you to move in accordance As the ark moves, the priests move, and you move behind the priests. There's order, and there's unity, and there's synchronization that God's raising up in the body. And and secondly, is that God promises in Deuteronomy 28, he says, I want to make you the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender, not the borrower. He's saying, if you're careful to do these things, you're moving in my presence, you're moving in synchronization, you're taking the land, I'm going to magnify you, I'm going to exalt you, because there's these nations are greater than you and you're going to need my power to cast them out and he's saying and this is going to be a sign to you that just as i was with moses i'm going to be with you the god of our fathers is also our god if he can do it then he can do it now and so there's a generational is a generational commissioning and a synergy and uh, when we successfully we're passing off we're raising the next generation to pass off the baton because those behind us are intended to go further than us. And so the Mos- Moses is dead. A new generation, a Joshua generation is raising up and a Joshua generation are gonna be the ones that cross over and take the land. But there's an order, there's a way that God wants to do this. And then, he, I love this, in verse eight he says, and when you go into that river, stand still. So why does he, why does he tell him to stand still? Do you guys remember? in Exodus 14 I'm going to read this real quick Exodus 14 verse 10 As Pharaoh approached the Israelites looked up and they and there were the Egyptians marching after them They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. Moses answered the people, and he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will, you will never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. Joshua chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to read it again. You shall command the priests who carry the ark, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters, you shall stand still in the river. Why? Because God's going to perform the deliverance. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. The victory belongs to the Lord. All right, let's finish this chapter. Are you guys okay? All right. Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the nations. I'm just going to summarize. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you, leading into the Jordan. So now take for yourselves twelve men. Everyone say say twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. When the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan flowing down from above will be cut off. They will stand in one mass of water. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan with the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who were carrying the Ark came up to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were submerged at the edge of the water for the Jordan River, overflows all of its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stopped, and they rose up in one mass a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zerathin. Those waters flowing downward toward the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea were completely cut off. So the people crossed over the river opposite of Jericho. While all the people of Israel crossed over on dry ground, the priest who who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan River until all the nations had finished crossing over the Jordan. I just love this last little phrase right here. The priests stood there until everyone had crossed over, until everyone passed. Get this. The priests are the first one in, but they're the last ones out. That is, God's raising up truth. He is raising up spiritual fathers and mothers in this generation. He's raising up leadership. He's raising up leadership with courage. That is, that is he, God is uh, raising up courageous leaders, but He's raising up leaders that is going to hold the pressure of the rising tide and extend faith to those that don't have enough. That is, and I want to declare this, is that we are all coming into breakthrough together. Is that God says to the priest, don't leave that your place until all the nations come over, then go in the land. The first one in is the last one out. And, and we pray this over prayer. Lord, I pray that we're all moving as one. We're all crossing the Jordan and we're all going to occupy the land, and no one gets left behind. The, and, and true fathers and mothers, the holding that pressure of that tide. To see that everyone passes over. And the true fathers and mothers, they're extending faith to those that don't have enough. They're extending it to them to see all the nations cross. Okay, so uh, go back to verse 12 real quick. And I said, take for yourselves 12 men of the tribes of Israel. One man from each tribe. So real quick, again, the high level overview. Twelve tribes of Israel, they're in conquest. Conquer and occupy land. Nine and a half of those tribes, they go east of the Jordan. Two and a half of those tribes go west of the Jordan rivers. The tribe of Levi is appointed to maintain the temple, and Joseph's uh, sons get two portions of the land. Half of the tribe is the tribe of Manasseh, and they straddle the Jordan on either side in Joshua 22. Okay, so God is creating a nation, they're possessing the land. And God, and the promise is, is, is even beyond this. And God says, through your seed, you're going to possess the nations of the earth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. The 12 tribes form a nation. That nation is casting out the other nations. And what are they doing? They're taking the land. Everyone say, take the land. Take the land. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads is yours. Now, we're going to end with this. But this is just a um, cliffhanger for next week. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus called his 12, everyone say 12, followers to himself. And he gave them power to put out demons and to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. These are the names of the 12 followers. Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas, There was Matthew, the man who gathered taxes. There was James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. There was Judas Iscariot who handed over Jesus to be killed. Did you know that Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua? A divine, heavenly Joshua appears on the scene. Do you see the parallel? Is that Joshua and Israel, the 12 tribes, cross and take the land. Jesus the heavenly Joshua, he appears, calls 12 disciples, gives them power, and says, now go and make disciples of all nations. God is creating a new kingdom, a new holy Israel. He selects 12 men. He names them apostles. They represent the beginning of a new Israel, and God then gives them the great commission. We look at Joshua, and we see the blueprint. God wants us to take nations, nations that are greater than you, and He wants us to follow the Ark of His Present. He's raising up synchronization, and He wants us to possess land, and in that land, there's an abundance more than enough provision there is more than enough provision but we've got to get out of the wilderness we've got to get out of wilderness miracles we've got to move begin to move into promised land conquest because in promised land conquest that's where the power is going to show up it's going to show up we say not on my watch it's time for jezebel to be thrown out the window it's time for the false prophets of baal that have risen up in our culture to be confronted by the spirit of elijah and, and it's time for an Elijah generation, fathers and mothers, to raise up Elisha's double-portioned sons. Taking nations seven greater, greater and mightier than you. Only then can we begin to see the core identity of the church and the full provision of heaven released in this hour.